looking for Come on back to the front porch See my name through the screen door Come on back to the front porch Whatever you've done, it doesn't matter Cause darling, we're all a little splintered and battered But the light is on, what you're waiting for Come on back, come on back to the front in the Care of God, Episode 3, Chapter 1, Part 2. I'm going to pick up a little bit further down in the book uh, after the Sermon on the Mount and read some additional paragraphs here and excerpts from the book. So here we go. The words I wrote all those years ago started to mean more with each day. God seemed to be actually calling into my soul, and it was jarring. At some point during this time, a great mentor of mine discussed with me a book he had read when he was in his early 20s called Love is Now by Peter Gilquist. Gilquist was a campus crusade guy who had an amazing passion for evangelism. He also loathed the format and expression of the evangelical church. He ended up on a long journey to orthodoxy later in life. One morning, while I was at school in Canada, I found his book in the library, grabbed it, and spent the rest of the day engrossed in the words on the page. I couldn't put it down. It was like drinking a fresh cup of water, enriching and comforting. The words on the pages spoke to the internal battle I had faced. I knew I wasn't much of a man. I was filled with failure and struggle. I wasn't really religious. I hated all the pretense and falsity of the Christian experience. I knew most mornings I struggled just to overcome my depression and get out of bed. No amount of immersion in the Bible had fixed that for me. I prayed to empty walls in my basement apartment and heard nothing like the answers my peers said they had received. Most of my adult faith has felt like I was walking through a surreal world after taking an unfathomable dose of crazy pills. All the people around me seemed to have this deep connection with God, and regardless of how I tried to correct myself, nothing changed. I didn't have transformational conversations with heaven, and no amount of theology was changing that. Gilquist's book was revelational to me. His was the first book I had read that spoke genuinely about the love of God in a profound way, like a hammer-smashing crystal. His book said that all of this Jesus story was pointing to a God who loved me, who actually took interest in me, and wanted the best for me. ...about a judgmental God was an abject lie. My favorite concept in the book was a mental picture Gilquist painted depicting the scene at the cross. It was near the end of the crucifixion and Gilquist sarcastically described humanity, personified at the foot of the cross, busy in an effort to fix itself. As Jesus breathed his last, humanity held up a finger to Jesus as if to say, Just a second, I'm over here helping you out. The arrogance and blindness of this notion seemed so insulting, but it codified an important idea for me. My efforts here on earth were never going to change the salvation story Jesus wanted for all of humanity. In my life, I've come to believe that not only are my efforts to add to the salvation story a futile endeavor, but in the end, they seem insulting to God. He has already accomplished this amazing task. The words, it is finished, actually means it is finished to me. I'm not a work in progress as it relates to salvation. Jesus and his efforts mattered. If he really did come to live the life he did, sinless and full of grace, being subjected to murder, raising from the dead, 
and ascending into heaven, any efforts I make toward earning my way into a chosen people seem like flapping my wings inside of an airplane. Silly and rather insulting. Gilquist's book was, uh, it's, and still is, one of my favorite reads of all time. It's this funky book from the kind of early 70s. It's got a Paisley cover on it. You can find it on Amazon and used bookstore sales. Uh, it was one of those books that when I found it in the library and then went over to the coffee shop and started reading it, I, I sat all day and read the whole thing in one sitting. It was, it was a gorgeous book. It was beautiful. It was saying something to me that I hadn't really quite ever understood. I'd gone, I'd become a Christian at a young age and then sort of worked my way through time at the church and youth groups and, and different things. And then went to college and went into fellowship of Christian athletes and then eventually kind of felt like I needed to go to a Bible college. And I did all that. And all the way along, I kept hoping that somewhere in this would be this transformational place where God would be really revelational to me and I would feel him in everything that I did. And that I would, uh, when I would pray or talk to him, that it would just feel really real. And then what I was asking for would sort of happen what I realized was what I was looking for was the genie from Aladdin. I kept hoping that he'd grant some wishes and get some things done and listen to my lamentations as a person who was sort of struggling with depression and frustration. I was living thousands of miles away from my home in Canada. I was enjoying my time. I was meeting great friends, but I was also very lost in what it meant to be a 21 year old person far away from home with not a great concept of what God actually thought of me. I think it's one of those moments in my life that when I got this book and was able to read it, I felt so uh, alive that I didn't, that I wasn't missing something. I think I walked around feeling like, God, something is wrong with me. I don't have what everybody else has. Look at all my friends. They're sitting here and they're in their small groups and their Bible studies and they're doing all this stuff and and they seem to really get something out of it and every time I sit in this circle I just can't wait to be out of it I can't wait to move along and not be engaged in this what felt so false and fake uh, to me and I'm not certain that it wasn't genuine to them but for me it was just something that felt like we had to do it and I didn't like that feeling and so when I got the chance to really actually hear these words soak in and become a part of my experience, I was shocked, honestly. I felt like I had missed something for so many years, and I was so grateful that this revelation had come. And from that point on, honestly, I really felt like there were lots of moments where I was moving further and further into the direction of knowing that God's grace was enough to cover all the things that were actually happening in my life. Some of my preconceived notions about what my behaviors needed to be like, what I needed to do in order to please God started to really change. I started to wonder if it was really about that or if it was really if that was really about me trying to be something else. I think it really starts with the concept of what I think of me in relationship to the God of the universe. And yeah, there's all sorts of concepts about a holy God and something that if you were to have walked into the Holy of Holies, you'd, your, your face would sort of melt off and the Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff would happen. 
I, I, and so I lived kind of in that space and a lot of fear and a lot of trembling of what God might be. And when I actually realized the Jesus story isn't anything like that, and that it isn't this long litany of things that you need to do in addition to what God has done, I started to actually warm up to the idea that Jesus was real and that God was actually a real experience to be had in this world. That as we live life out here on earth, here's actually something of heaven that has transformational power. And I think it's really something that we as believers, uh, we need to own and embrace that God has something for us more than just, it's more than just whether or not we get to live a behavioralist life. I, I think that's so, it's so kind of phony to think that he would do all of this stuff to have this long history of his desperation to be in relationship with the fallen world and fallen creation, people of free will that are wrestling with who he is, gets through all of that and all the lineage and David and the prophets and and here we are at Jesus in the New Testament. It, it becomes harder and harder for me to visualize a God that also says, we went through all this effort, get to the end of this and congratulations here's 85,000 more things you need to do for me to feel like we're satisfied in this relationship i think god is truly standing there at the end of this crescendo into the crucifixion and resurrection of jesus and he gets the crescendo and says okay it really is finished and i when i finally embraced that as a believer the world opened up to me it made people around me feel like I wanted to be engaged with people. I didn't want to uh, retreat to my own towers of people who were like-minded. I actually wanted to go out into to the world and explain to them what had actually happened to me, that, that this goodness and grace had been given to me. And I was really thrilled about it, actually. I wasn't just saying it because that's what all my friends in Bible college were saying. I actually wanted to say it because it really mattered. I wanted to write music about... God's goodness to me. I didn't want to I didn't want to write songs about preaching and and how specific little nuggets of scripture could relate to me behaving better. I didn't want to do any of that. I actually wanted to go out and talk to people and say, "Do you realize what a great wonderful God we actually can come to know and understand and live with? That's really different than religion." which always seems to channel you into this space of behavioralism. There's lots of reasons for that. There's lots of reasons why it happens. Uh, I always say chaos has no, uh, it has nowhere to go, but to generate, to degenerate into organization. You can't have spontaneity without it degenerating into somebody wanting to put it into a spreadsheet and tell you how to make it work organizations and systems and, and all of those things that we love to operate in in the Western mind. It seems to me that God's much more chaotic than that. If he sort of is this, there's a Rich Mullins song, and I love this, I love the, the line, the reckless raging fury they call the love of God. I think that's just such a beautiful image of who he actually is. Like This is the person who 
this is the entity and the being and the person all wrapped up into this wild concept I can't even get my head around who through the sun and the stars and the moon and the earth and drew the Grand Canyon with his finger in an instant and decided what to name the fish and or how to create the fish and when what kind of fish should be in the ocean. All of that is just unfathomable to me that that was a possibility in, in the creativity of God in this sort of raging fury that's reckless and unabandoned. And we, on the other side of it, wanted to turn it into something much more specific. We love the idea of turning something like that into something we can control and understand and, and have order and organization to. And when we can do that, we can make God just small enough that he might be controllable. And I think as I we kind of explore this whole thing, the, the beauty of what grace did for me was to make me say, I don't actually want any of that. I don't want that small God. I actually want the God that is the reckless raging fury that I don't understand and can't control and have really nothing but awe, inspiration, relationship with. I just want to stand in awe truly of this God that's done incredible stuff. So that's a little segment from chapter one. Uh, we'll continue with this. I hope these are helpful for anybody that's listening. Um, it's probably just me listening on my own stuff to hear myself talk, but that's okay too. Uh, we'll be back with more episodes uh, in a few days. I'm going to try to do these every couple of days. So thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this one. And if you have any questions or comments, please visit carelessinthecare.com and uh, you, you can chat with us and, and email us. And we'd love to hear from you. Thanks.